Well, as you kind of get settled in here, uh, open up your Bible, Matthew chapter 7. That's where we're going to be today, just two verses, 13 and 14. So you can open up whether it's on your phone or you've got a Bible here with you. Go ahead and get that open. While you do, there's this thing that people like to do to the human population, all like 8 billion of us. And that is to try to divide us into two categories. There are two types of people in the world, and then you offer two categories. Here are some examples. When it comes to wrapping Christmas presents, there are two types of people in the world. There's, there's me on the right in the blue there, and there's my wife on the left. In fact, mine don't even look as good as the blue one. I usually, because of that, I usually just use bags. You just put it in a bag. You make some tissue paper look kind of cute at the top, and you don't have to worry about your tape. There are two kinds of people in the world when it comes to alarms. <laughs> I'm, I'm the one alarm and out of bed kind of person. And then there are these other people that I want to talk to really briefly. <laughs> if you need to be out of bed at 7.35, you've wasted 35 minutes of really good sleep via this method. You could just set it later and get out of bed when you have to. There are two types of people in the world when it comes to notifications on your phone. There's Brian Bliss in the purple. And there's Tim Fritzen in the blue. In fact, Brian will stack up so many emails on his phone that it's like, you know, you get the little red circle on there. His is definitely an oval sometimes includes as many as five digits of unread emails. There are two types of people in the world when it comes to marking your place in a book. There are bookmark people, and then there are heretics who, who fold over the edge of their page. Those are the, there's no hope for the people that fold over the corner of the page. There are, okay, and then last but not, this is the most important one. There are two types of people when it comes to toilet paper. There are under people and there are over people. Someone came up and informed me that in the U.S. patent office, the instructions are over. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. Someone else came up and informed me that I've obviously never had a cat. <laughs> which launched us into a whole nother discussion about there being two kinds of people in the world. <laughs> Dog people and cat people. We, we try to divide people in these kinds of ways all the time. But typically, when, even when you're looking at these examples this morning, there's a third option on most of these. For instance... I don't bookmark or fold the corner of the page over. I just memorize the last page I read. Oh, the last page I read was 212, and then the next time I go open the book, 212. I just go to there. My wife and I, in the first house that we lived in, the master bathroom uh, was just like kind of configured oddly, and there was no real logical place to hang the toilet paper roll deal. So we had this vanity, and we just set it there. You just grabbed the toilet paper roll and got, got what you needed. We lived there for four years and never fixed it. Um, there are usually more options than just the two. 
This morning we're going to begin looking at what is the conclusion to the Sermon on the Mount. And throughout the conclusion to the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus makes it clear repeatedly that there really are just two types of people in the world. There are those who are headed toward eternal life, and there are those that are headed toward eternal destruction. And those are the two options. There's not a third one. There's no middle path. In fact, as we work our way through what is the conclusion here to the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is going to drive home the difference between what it looks like for someone who is truly a follower of Jesus Christ and someone who is not a follower of Jesus Christ. It's as if he gets to the golden rule here in Matthew 7, 12, whatever you wish to have done to you, do unto others. He, he states that, and then he says, that's it. All of this that I've been saying, this is what it looks like to be a follower of mine. Now, what are you going to do about it? And over the last few verses here of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is going to repeatedly draw the same two conclusions over and over and over again. That eternity is real and neutrality isn't an option. Eternity is a real thing and you can't just say, I'm floating along down the middle here. You can't just wallow around in some sort of like reflective bliss over Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. You can't get to the end of it and just think to yourself, wow, Jesus is a really good teacher. These are some great principles. Jesus says, no, eternity is real. Neutrality isn't an option. There are only two roads. In fact, if you look at your Bible really briefly, you'll see that there are kind of four paragraphs left in the Sermon on the Mount. There's one here about two roads. The next one is about two trees. There's one beginning in verse 21 about two different kinds of professions of faith. And then finally, there's one uh, beginning in verse 24 through the end uh, of the Sermon on the Mount that's about two foundations. All of those point to this same idea over and over and over again, that in matters of eternity, neutrality is not an option. There is no third way. There is no third option. In fact, he makes it clear that admiration of the gospel or just admiration of the Sermon on the Mount is eternally condemning. That conviction without some sort of commitment is eternally condemning. If you're a follower of Jesus already, you've placed your faith in him, then the Sermon on the Mount isn't something that we should just reflect on and say and commend as like, yeah, these are great teachings. Jesus really did a good job here. No, they're to be carried out. They're to be lived out in your life. If you're someone who's never placed your faith in Jesus, then you've got to do more than merely hear these words. You've got to do more than merely give mental, intellectual assent to the fact that maybe Jesus was a real person, that he said some great things, that he was a good model, he was a moral person. You've got to do more than that. We can't just stop there. We would do well to understand that in the church in America today. We shy away from making this kind of definitive statement in our culture today, that there really are two options and only two options. That there is one 
path, one road that leads to destruction, eternal destruction. And there's one and only one way that leads to life, eternal life in the presence of a holy and righteous God. We shy away from making those distinctions in our discipleship relationships. We shy away from making that distinction in our evangelistic interactions. We shy away from making that kind of serious call in our churches. And even to our own peril, we shy away from making this kind of call in our personal life. Jesus refuses for that to be the case. He calls our attention to the urgency of action here. The Sermon on the Mount, the message of the gospel, all of Jesus' teachings, the entirety of the Bible, they aren't just this theoretical idea that we're supposed to think about and decide whether or not we think it sounds nice. They're eternal realities that we are supposed to stake our lives upon. So he introduces the conclusion to the Sermon on the Mount with this description of two gates, two roads. It says this, I'm I'm reading in verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. If you've placed your faith in Jesus or not this morning, those words should be eye-opening. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, then those words of Jesus ought to sharpen your focus in both your heart and in your mind about the reality and the urgency of eternity. If you're someone who's here this morning and you've not ever placed your faith in Jesus Christ, then his words in these two verses ought to sharpen the focus of your eyes and your heart and your mind about the urgency and reality of eternity. It should elicit the same response for both groups of people. And so this morning, I just want to point out a few truths about this passage. I'm not going to do anything groundbreaking. There's nothing difficult or secretive about this passage. I mean, Jesus just just lays it right out there for us. It's very clear. It's easily understandable. So I'm going to point out what's pretty obvious in the text this morning. The first is that there are two and only two ways. There's no third option here. Too often we want to allow ourselves to think that there's some middle thing. Or we want to allow other people to believe that there is some middle thing. One of the dangers of the Sermon on the Mount would be to read it and only ever look backward at our lives to this point. To read everything that Jesus has said and then take stock of the things that we've done in our life up to this point and say, you know what, compared to the people around me, I'm doing pretty well. When I see what Jesus has to say here and I look at the person next to me, even sitting here at church this morning, I think I'm ahead of the game a little bit. And so Jesus ends that way of thinking. And he begins here with a plea. Enter through the narrow gate. He's just come all the way through, you know, a couple chapters worth of what we have now on the Sermon on the Mount. And it's like he's been teaching his disciples who are gathered there around him. And he lifts his eyes up to the rest of the crowd. And with this intense passion and love in his eyes, he pleads with them, enter through the narrow gate. There are only two. There is no third option. Picture the last time you were at a water park. And it had a lazy river that went around it. You got, you know, the kids worn out on some slides or you had 
you know, had enough wave pool fun or whatever the case might be, and you thought, you know what I want to do? I just want to ride around in the lazy river. So you grab an inner tube, and you get in there, and you sit down, and it just begins to take you around. And at a certain point, you realize, I've got to get out. You know what the lazy river never does? It never just pushes you toward the exit. You can go around and around and around and around on that thing. And at some point, if you want to get out, you've got to do the graceful maneuver where you just flop out of the tube. There's no good way to do that. It's embarrassing for everyone. So you like roll over sideways out of the tube and you've got to swim yourself over to the exit. It's never going to push you there. The same is true on the wide path. It's not ever going to force you over to the narrow gate. That's not how it works. You will just travel down further and further and further and further with the rest of the crowd encouraging you to go along. And if you want to get to the narrow gate, you've got to make a break. You have to. It's the only way. Jesus makes it clear both in this passage and in the ones that are going to follow throughout the remainder of the Sermon on the Mount that those are the only two options, wide, narrow. And the truth is that by default, as a human being, we all start on the wide path. Maybe one of the greatest lies of Satan, maybe one of his greatest successes in the deception of humanity is getting humanity to think that we're all born on the narrow one And until we start making really terrible decisions, then we get on the wide path. That's not true. That's not the case. The Bible makes it clear that we're all born in sin, which means that we all, by default, our our factory settings, if you will, put us on the wide path. This should fundamentally change the way we interact with the world around us. Brothers and sisters, if you place your faith in Jesus... We've got to change our way of thinking. We should not approach and interact with people as if they're headed through the narrow gate. We should approach and interact with people as if they're headed for the wide gate until they tell us otherwise. Or until they get to heaven. For fear of offending someone, we assume that everybody is on the narrow path. We assume that everyone is, you know, walking the straight and narrow, if you will. When in reality, that's not the case. Our our normal disposition ought to be to just share the gospel with people. And if you get all the way to the end of your little spiel or whatever the case might be, and the person's already put their faith in it, I hope they just give you a hug. And they say, yes, I'll see you at the throne. But if you get to the end of your spiel and the person has not ever placed their faith in Jesus, now they've got to wrestle with that. Are they going to flop themselves out of the tube and swim to the exit? We have to be willing to make that distinction for people. I want to be really clear with my words here, so listen carefully. It requires some sort of action to break with the wide path, but it's not an action that saves yourself. It's not that you've got to work so hard, perform so well, do everything that the Bible says, and then you get yourself onto the narrow path. You've got to achieve your way over there. That's not the case. Jesus has achieved it for you. Instead, you stake all of your hope and all of your faith and all of your identity upon the work that he has done on your behalf, and that faith is what moves you from wide to narrow. But at some point, you've got to make that decision. At some point, you've got to place your faith in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. If you're here this morning, 
And when somebody says, when did you become a Christian? Your answer is, I've always been a Christian. I want to plead with you this morning. You haven't always been a Christian. It's not the way it works. You're not born a Christian. You're not born with faith in Jesus Christ. It might be true that you've always attended church. It might be true that your parents raised you from every Sunday you can remember going to church, but that doesn't mean you're a Christian. That just means you've always gone to church. The only means by which a person becomes a Christian is that they make this break with the wide path and they enter through the narrow gate. You've got to do that by faith in Jesus Christ. You've got to break with the world. You've got to break with the crowd. Most importantly, you've got to break with your own sinful human nature, your own propensity to put yourself at the center of the universe, your own desire to make your needs and your wants the greatest thing in your life. You've got to break with your own desire to make you the God of the universe and allow Jesus Christ and his work on the cross to become that thing which you stake all of your hope on. If you're here this morning and you think to yourself, I've been a Christian my entire life, or you're here this morning and you think to yourself, we come to church because we really want our kids to grow up in church. I want you to hear me say that I want your kids to grow up in church too. I pray that thanks to the work of our volunteers back there in our children's classrooms, that your child has the opportunity to hear the gospel and put their faith in Jesus Christ. But I pray the same thing for you that you come in here on Sunday mornings and you've got the opportunity to put your faith in Jesus Christ, that if you have grown up and always gone to church and always been a Christian, that there's actually been a moment in your life where you made a decisive break with the wide path and put your faith in Jesus Christ and entered through the narrow gate. No one's just gonna drift their way into eternity in the presence of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, the same is true for the people that you work with. The same is true for the people that are on your street, in your neighborhood. The same is true for the families of the kids that, you're, uh, that your child plays sports with or does dance with or whatever the case might be. We can't shy away from this. We can't be ashamed of calling people to that kind of definitive break in their life. Because in matters of eternity, neutrality is not an option. I'm going to point out kind of three differences that the text makes here about the two roads. And I'm going to point out a fourth one that this particular text doesn't make, but that's true throughout all of Scripture. And if you're someone who's placed your faith in Jesus Christ, then these are the kind of distinctions we need to be drawing for the people around us. If you're someone who hasn't put your faith in Jesus Christ, then these are the kind of distinctions that it's important for you to understand. The first is about the nature of the two roads. One is wide and one is narrow. Narrow has an incredibly negative connotation in our society today. The idea that one thing could possibly be the only way is looked down upon. Instead, the wider the better. The more options, the better. We shouldn't quibble over the details. Everything leads to the same place. Various religions, meditation, uh, good karma, living morally. Everybody ends up in the same place. That's just not the case. Jesus says in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except by me. 
And the issue here isn't that only a few people can enter the gate, that it's somehow blocking people. The issue is that only a few will enter the narrow gate. A few years ago, when I was working at another church, we took a group of students to Haiti. And if you've ever been to Haiti, you know that they just really love to play soccer. And so we had come well-stocked with soccer balls. And about every 12 hours, you needed a new one because they just, they just entirely wore it out. And so after a few days of that, we started running low on soccer balls. And we started thinking to ourselves, we've got to come up with something different. Maybe they'll really like kickball. And so we got some bases set out out there, and we split up into two teams. And I stood there getting ready to pitch to the first child who was going to kick. And I rolled the ball down there, and he stopped it and dribbled it to first base. <laughs> and I, I thought to myself, okay, I guess we didn't explain well enough. And he's standing there on first base with his foot on the ball like, hey, pitch another one. This is great. And no one even tried to stop me. And we realized we hadn't defined the game well enough. We hadn't actually put the parameters around it that allowed the kids to experience the game. And once we did, everyone could play and everyone could enjoy it and everyone could have a great time. That's the issue here with the narrow gate. It's been defined. There's one way, but everyone can enjoy it. And it's available for everybody in every tribe, every nation, every tongue will worship at the feet of Jesus, but they're only getting there through one gate. It's the only option. I, I think of it at times like you're standing outside an amusement park, and the only way to get into the amusement park is through the turnstile. But once you get in, it's this incredible place. The same is true with eternity in heaven. There's only one way. You've got to get through the turnstile. Faith in Jesus is the only option. Man, but once you're inside, life is incredible. And it's eternal. The second distinction is about the popularity. The text tells us that there are many who find the narrow road, but there are only a few, are many who find the wide road, but only a few who find the narrow road. There are plenty of people to walk alongside on the wide path. Depending on your stage in life or your circumstances, if you're on the narrow path, you may be walking totally solo from time to time. Think about our team in Western Asia. They're in a nation that's got a population of roughly 76 million people, and there are 5,000 Christians. You could be living in a city somewhere over there, and it could be miles, hundreds of miles, to the next Christian. But just because there are more people walking on the broad path doesn't mean that the broad path is true. It doesn't mean that the wide path is true. There are more Christians here in America than there are over there. There are people for us to walk alongside, typically, especially if you regularly attend church and you're in a small group and there are folks to walk with, but that doesn't mean that the broad path is somehow true because there are more people on it. In fact, you may find yourself at situations in life in which you look around and you can't find a single person who's walking along the narrow path with you. But don't be alarmed, because Jesus says that's normal. The path is hard, and few people find it. 
But the normalcy of walking alone at times, of standing solo at times, shouldn't make us complacent about things. We shouldn't think to ourselves, wow, I'm really the only person that believes around here, but that's okay because Jesus said few would find the narrow path, so I'm not going to worry about everybody else. No, the sparseness of people on the narrow path ought to break our hearts. Far too often, what happens is that we gather up with other people who are walking along the narrow path and we want to just stay there. We want to enjoy the company of those who are walking the narrow path with us. We want to pack into churches on Sunday morning or go to our small group and those are wonderful things. Please hear me correctly. But at the same time, there are millions and millions of people walking along a wide path that leads to destruction who desperately need to hear about the gospel of Jesus Christ and they're not going to hear it if you don't leave the church at some point. They're not going to hear it if you only ever huddle up with the other people on the narrow path. They have got to hear the words of the gospel and be given the opportunity to respond. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, that is the purpose of your life. To draw this kind of line for people. That there's a wide way and a narrow way. And those are the only two options. And the last distinction that's drawn in the text is the destination of the two. One leads to destruction. One leads to life. We're going to do a quick Greek lesson about what's here in the text. The word destruction means destruction. No tricks. No gimmicks. Think back to a couple weeks ago when Bob Vogelar was up here teaching and he did the coffee cup illustration. The word for destruction here isn't talking about Annalise's cup where the handle was kind of chipped off on one side. It's talking about Dawson Vogelar crush it into powder destruction. That's what the wide path offers. That's it. Eternal, crushed to dust destruction. On the other side is life. In fact, life forms the bookends to the Christian experience. That when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you are given new life. The old is gone, the new has come. And then when your physical life ends, you are ushered into eternal life. The last distinction I want to draw that's not in this text, but is clear throughout all of the New Testament is clear throughout all of the Bible, is that there are two different leaders on these paths. The wide path is led by the crowd. The narrow path is led by the Savior. On the wide path, it's literally the blind leading the blind. It's as if there is a person who cannot see running headlong toward a cliff and encouraging a bunch of other people who cannot see to confidently follow. And the only available option at the end of that cliff is a long drop and death. Whereas on the other side, the way may be hard, the text says, but the guide is perfect. And not only has he come and secured salvation for humanity by his work on the cross, but he's also willing to walk alongside us. He sent his Holy Spirit in order to guide us along that path. He's more than willing to come back for those who fall off of the narrow path and pick you back up and say, let's keep walking. In matters of eternity, neutrality is not an option. 
if you're a believer in Christ, if you've put your faith in him and in him alone for the forgiveness of your sins and for his righteousness to be imputed to you, then you've got to be willing to draw these distinctions for the people around you. We don't do humanity any favors by shying away from these things. In fact, I would say the least loving thing you can do as a Christian is fail to draw these distinctions for the world around you. If you haven't placed your faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, then I pray that this morning you would see those. See the distinctions. Understand the difference. There's a wide, popular, blind leading the blind, ends in destruction kind of path. And there is a narrow, unpopular, modeled and led by Jesus, leading toward life path. And there's no other option. You must choose. Neutrality isn't an option. But the text also tells us about the road. For the gate is narrow, and the way, the road, is hard that leads to life. Following Jesus doesn't end when someone places their faith in his work on the cross. We want to kind of pack people through the narrow gate and then just let them stand there on the other side. Following Jesus includes walking on the narrow road. My wife and I, when we fly, we pretty much exclusively fly on Southwest, and so one of the great things about flying on Southwest is that you just get your boarding pass and, and you get on the plane and you find a seat. One of the bad things about Southwest is that you just get your boarding pass and you get on the plane and you find your seat. And so inevitably what happens is that the people with the A and the B boarding passes typically just line themselves up window, aisle. They're left with a whole bunch of middle seats and the whole plane fills up kind of randomly and then those poor souls who got C boarding passes start coming onto the plane, and they've got middle seat options all the way down, and they're looking, and inevitably, one person walks onto the aisle of that plane, and they've got a purse and, like, an over-the-shoulder bag and a rolly suitcase. And, they, and it's just a train wreck while they make their way down the aisle. People are getting smacked in the head with both bags. The suitcase is bouncing all over the aisle. They're trying to figure out if they should, like, shuffle sideways or walk themselves straight down. And all the while, I'm watching... And I just want to scream at them, part with the bags. It's free. You can check two for free. Just give up the bags. Your, your walking would be so much easier. We've got to be willing to do the same when people put their faith in Jesus. We've got to say part with the bags. Following Jesus is hard enough. And if you can just cut with some of the sin in your life, it will get easier. Part with the baggage. Get rid of it. Check it at the turnstile. Leave it there. Yet, in order to make Christianity a little bit more palatable for the people around us, we want to make it seem as though you can come to Christ as you are, which is beautiful, and then stay as you are. And that's just not the case. You come to Jesus as you are, and then you allow him to transform you. You part with the baggage of your sin. That's true of every person who puts their faith in Jesus Christ. Every true disciple, and we're going to get into this a little bit more next week, begins to part with the baggage of their sin. The way is narrow and hard, and few find it. It's like Jesus gets here and he pleads, enter through the narrow gate. The way is hard, but it's the only way. But don't get too concerned because I'm going to walk it out alongside you. I'm willing to lead you. The greatest apologetic tool any Christian has in their life is their life. When you talk about the truth of the gospel, people ought to see 
the truth of the gospel in your life. It's not enough to live like the world in Christian places, to just pack into churches and look like the rest of the world. No, the gospel's got to transform your life. Jesus' very first words when he began to preach the gospel were repent and believe. They literally mean continually repent and continually believe. That's what it looks like to follow after him. In matters of eternity, neutrality is not an option. We're going to finish our time together this morning by worshiping with one another. So I'm going to invite the band to come on up. And 